Listening Dog Media. The Hot Mess Mum. The mum most likely to send her kids to school in regular clothes on non-school uniform day. The mum who forgets to sign the permission slip for school trips. The mum who has probably put leftovers in her kids' lunchbox on more than one occasion. But most importantly, the Hot Mess Mum is actually rocking it and is doing a far better job than even she thinks. Please welcome our Hot Mess Mums, telling it as it is, Kelly and Jenny Powell. It is the Hot Mess Mums Club podcast. I'm Kelly Pegg. Still missing my wing woman, Jenny Powell, but uh, I have an incredible guest today. So, so excited about this. It is the international sex and relationship author and columnist. And I've tried not to put all my own questions into this episode. <laughs> Hello. Hi, how are you? Lovely to be here. I'm fine, yes. So good to have you here. I really, Thank really you. look forward to this. I feel like through the last year, so many people's relationships have changed, some for the better, some for the worse. And it's a first for us to have somebody like you on Hot Mess Mums. Oh, that's great. Thank you. That's mm-hmm. fantastic. We haven't quite gone there and talk, talked about the, the SEX world, you know. Oh, the, we haven't. Way. So I'm so glad to, like, open the box and go for it, really. <laughs> so I've got to ask you, first of all, how did you get into the career that you're in? Because you've you've had a really exciting career. You've done lots of things. I mean, you worked over in Australia. You worked in radio. Um, also, you know, um, you, you've now got books out, your own podcast, which I'm excited to talk about as well. Mum's done. Time to have sex. Can't wait to discuss more on that. So how did it happen for you? Um, it's hard to know where to start. I I had a big sister who um, used to work for family planning when I grew up. In, I'm English, but I grew up in Australia. So I got, she sort of used to give me all these pamphlets about sex. And I was a bit like Otis from sex education and that everybody at the school knew that my big sister worked there. So they come to me with questions. So I sort of got used to talking about sex. And then when I went to uni, I couldn't decide. I loved writing. I always, always, always wanted to write. And But I was fascinated by sex and relationships. So it was a big thing, like, do I become a journalist or do I become a psychologist? So I couldn't decide. So I did both. I did both degrees. And then in the end, I thought, you know what, I prefer writing. And then I sort of got into, you know, just just thought I'd become a journalist. I ended up writing for Cosmopolitan magazine. And then I ended up editing Cosmopolitan magazine. And when I got to that point, I, I loved magazines. They were my absolute life. But I thought, mm, I don't know now. I think I might have to go off and write books because I always wanted to write a book. And and it, I'd always been writing about sex and relationships. So I, I wrote a story for Cosmo. Uh, and bear in mind, that was in the day when Cosmopolitan was the magazine. We used to sell so many. And I wrote one story about how to master debate and it was a very straightforward put your finger there move it around do this thing which nowadays no one would blink at but back then everyone was like oh my god no one's written this stuff before and it sold to all the cosmos around the world and so many people said to me oh my god I've never read anything like that before that I thought you know what there's a book in that so I left women's magazines to write this book called I wanted to call it sex how to do it and they said no 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 you can't call it that you should, we're going to call it hot sex how to do it 
And that sort of, and I just put everything I knew. It was very practical. It was the first most practical guide you could get to sex. And, and at those stages, there was just, you know, quite medical things like Miriam Stoppard or really sleazy things like how to pick up a chick and all that sort of stuff. So mine was the first very practical book written in the language that people speak in. It came out, it didn't really do much for the first six months. Then after that, suddenly it was sold to US, UK, around the world. It's in, I think, 120 different countries now. And I still get royalties. And that's nearly 20 years ago. Wow. So, yeah. And then suddenly from that, then all of a sudden I'm traipsing around the world as a sex expert. I'm thinking, I don't know about that. But anyway, whatever. Got a few TV shows here. So I came back to London and did a few TV shows on sex and body language. Then um, I, yeah, since then just been doing columns. I have my own sex story ranges with Love Honey, which is, thank God, because that's where all the money comes from. And now a new podcast. So I've done a lot of different things and it's been a fascinating career. But when I was little I certainly wouldn't have said I know I'm going to become a sex expert that's what I'm going to be no your name though if you know if you ever say it I know knows don't they yeah it's a sex expert Tracy Cox I mean everybody <laughs> knows you which is fantastic because you are there breaking all those taboos you know when I we're so typically British I imagine in lots of co- different countries you know People, it's very different, isn't it, how the culture is and how people react. But I find in the UK, you know, even still now, we're all a bit like, don't talk about it. So how wonderful to have you do it for us. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, I don't know whether I find the UK that bad, you know. I, th- I always judge it by the morning television show and what they tell me I can say and what I can't say. And I've been on morning television here talking about, you know, female ejaculation and all sorts of stuff that in America's the worst. America is very uptight. I mean, in in a couple of places, it was like, can you not say sex? Can you say, can you say four plays, the entree and intercourse is the main course? And it's like, well, I'll try. (laughs) It's going to be pretty difficult. So, yeah, I don't think of Brits as, as, I think they used to be quite uptight, but I don't know about any more. I find the Scandinavian countries absolutely fascinating fascinating because they're so open about sex so and and their sex education in schools is just to die for and we should all be educated that way and they teach them about relationships and all sorts of stuff but yet they're very funny about um when i wrote a book called super flirt about flirting and a lot of those countries were like no we're not buying that one and i knew my publishers well enough to say why not and they said no 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 that that's like and and for want of a better term prick teasing no we wouldn't do that there's no such thing as flirting which is very interesting, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah they, they weren't interested in that at all. <laughs> funny. It's funny you say that about America as well, but, you know, obviously over there it is still very religious in parts, isn't it, and, and mm. conservative, which doesn't reflect their TV shows at all. In, well, in some any- of them it does. Yeah, not the ones I watch. but <laughs> No, exactly. Yeah, the ones that you yeah. and I watch on Sky Atlantic, no, they're fine. But everything, all the other ones, yeah, it does. Middle America is extremely conservative, very conservative. Wow. And when you and I talk about New York, we mean L.A., you know, New York, all that yeah. sort of those areas. You know, when I was single in, in my 20s, that was my go-to, you know. That show just changed oh, I it, yeah. for women, I think. Everyone. Yeah. It did. And I think it's still very, very relevant. I mean, I know it's not very woke and it's quite um, cliched and, you know, and quite, um, what would you say? I don't know. There's a lot of stereotypes in that show. I mean, for our generation who grew up, I mean, people looking at it now would probably go, what the hell is this? They're all white and there's no black and there's all this sort of stuff. But at the time, it was so risque. My God. 
Mm-hmm. I met Kim Cattrall once, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, and she was amazing in her posture. I couldn't believe her posture. And it's so weird because I met her at a Glamour Women of the Year Award and she wanted to be me. And she got the um, editor of Glamour, Joe Elvin, to introduce her. And she said, I want to be you. And I thought, my God, <laughs> that's a pretty wow. amazing thing because she wanted to write sex books. And she did write a couple, actually, of how to do it and all that sort of stuff. I just remember her posture just being so you know, it's not very often that you think you meet somebody, you just go, wow, your posture is just amazing. But so straight. And, and she's, um, she's got quite, quite not so nice memories about sex in the city. She just says they got yeah. paid not to eat. Yeah, there was, there's all sorts that have come out about that and friction mm. behind the scenes and everything. I always used to think I could never be an actress because I just don't know right. how she did the scenes that she did, which were amazing. <laughs> I was like, yeah. oh, I'm so embarrassed. I used to get I reckon I could do the scenes, but I couldn't ever remember the lines. Like, they just have to remember so many lines. <laughs> no, it was a great show. Yeah, brilliant. I want to talk to you a little bit about sort of, obviously, the last year, because it, it has been quite a testing time on so many levels for everybody. But one of the big things that I feel wasn't probably spoken about enough was the effect that it was having on people's relationships, especially mm. people who weren't used to spending so much time together and then all of a sudden they were locked down together and then obviously the people that were dating and couldn't see each mm. other and did a lot of people reach out to you was it something that you know you were sort of very aware of going yes in relationship it was and I was asked to speak on it a lot of times and, and it was very different things for very different people but in a way I think coming out of it this end, it didn't probably do anybody any harm. Like the amount of singles that I know that were that that I mean, obviously it was very lonely and stuff, but they've come out the other end very short. They know what they want more. It was like enforced time to really think about what do I want from a relationship? What is super important? And the the sort of thing that's probably suffered out of this is casual sex because so many people have come out of it and they've done um I was listening to a podcast with Justin Lee Miller and they they've done a big study on it in America and the biggest things that's changed is that people are saying right okay I want less casual sex and more commitment because what we missed during lockdown as singles wasn't sex it was having somebody there with you it was intimacy and commitment and things like that so what did happen with singles was they all bought sex toys I mean love honey just sold I mean, the figures were ridiculous. Everybody bought sex toys, which is another good thing. And couples bought sex toys because they were all so bored. But with couples, that whole spending time 24-7 is absolutely disastrous for relationships. And in the beginning, all the couples were like, this is fantastic. We can have sex at 11 o'clock in the morning and 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And then two weeks later, it was like, this is awful. We can have sex any time of any day. And who wants something when it's available all the time? No one. And you need separateness as a couple. You need to you need to come back and say, oh, my God, she said this and this happened to me and I was in a restaurant and this happened. You can't – there's no excitement when it's just the two of you. I mean, you can't create any separateness, and that's what your sex life needs. Like, it was all lovely for love life. Like, lots of couples ended up more in love. But sex, no, it's not great. So let's hope that that all happens. And I do think with other couples, if you were in a bad relationship and you went into lockdown, it made it so much worse – And a lot of people split up. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because a lot of people stay in bad relationships or stale relationships that they really shouldn't be in just because they can't be bothered getting out of them. 
And I think you're much better off if you're not happy together, giving each other the chance to be happy with other people, you know? So I think people who, you know, they said, oh, aren't you upset about the high breakup, you know, divorce rate? No, because I think some of those, if you didn't, if there was nothing wrong with your relationship, you came out of, of the lockdown, okay. If there were cracks in your relationship and you didn't have the communication skills to fix them, okay, you might have been in trouble. But, you know, a lot of the relationships that broke up should have broken up in my eyes. And you're so right, because being in that position where you've got so much time to think and you've got that person there all the time, you know, it must really bring it to the forefront that they're not the right person to to be with. Mm. You know, I've got a friend who's going through a divorce and it's particularly unpleasant. But what lockdown did for her was sort of, OK, I'm going to try internet dating. You know, yeah. so she's getting ready to sort of start that aspect of her life now, which is really exciting. So I think, yeah, there are some definitely positive things to come out of it for people. Yeah, there are. And the other thing that it did, which I found quite amusing, was that it fast forwarded so many relationships, like people who had just got together like a month or so before. Yeah, yeah. And 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 quite in a fabulous way. Um my um my an ex-friend of well not an ex-friend, he's still a friend, but he's left um England to live in America now. He ended up meeting this girl, an American girl who lives in New York and he lives in London about three weeks before lockdown started. And they'd, they'd met over here and they'd had a few dates. And then she went back to America and he said, oh, I'll come over and visit you. And of course, when he was due to visit, which was a few weeks later, they both knew that he might end up stuck there. So he just sort of thought, oh, sod it, I'll take the chance anyway. So he went there and they're hot. And then all of a sudden he was stuck there with her in this. And they rented this cabin in the middle of the woods and just stayed together. No one else around for about wow. three months. And now to come up, cut a long story short, within that period of time, they've now got married, had a baby and he's moved to New York. Oh, all in that space wow. of like 10 months. Wow. Extraordinary. Yeah. Wow, wow. Oh, it's meant to be, obviously. Yeah. But I wonder whether, I said to him, do you think that would have ended up like that? If And he said, probably not, because, you know, you know how hard a long distance relationship is. You yeah. know, he probably would have gone over there and, you know, had a nice time and then come back again and then all too difficult. So so it's it's had some quite nice stories, really, lockdown. When we talk about, you mentioned earlier, excitement and love mm. and those being different things. Mm which I think is really relevant to married couples and when you've got young kids as well. You did a piece about the excuses we give to get out of sex. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, this is me. Tick, tick, tick. Yeah, but, but I mean, look, I think in, I always – look, I've never had children. I've got a stepdaughter, but I've never had children. And I have – I take my hat off to anybody with young kids and kids growing up who even continue to have sex once every two months, honestly. I think that it is so difficult for people and it's so stressed and necessarily your focus isn't on let's have great sex and hot sex and what I'm going to try tonight it's on I need to just survive and stay together and the fact that you're even talking is probably a miracle so I think parents need to really let up on themselves and the other thing you need to do which was interesting you say we keep talking about how great we were at the beginning I think everyone forgets something at the beginning and that is two things first of all at the beginning you Truly, you could be going out with Margaret Thatcher because your brain is so infused with all these love and sex hormones that you could fancy a frog. Like, it's not actually realistic. It's just happens to everybody at that time. So don't keep longing for that beginning bit because you can't ever get that again unless you want to keep swapping partners all the time, right? The other thing is, 
the thing that people most hate, hate me saying when they're in a long-term relationship is that you have to plan for sex because they're like, oh, for God's sake, there is no spontaneity in that. That's awful. That would make it another chore, blah, blah, blah. Now, what people forget is at the beginning, everybody planned for sex. You don't plan more for sex than you do in the beginning. You think about the underwear you're going to wear. Where are we going to go for a date? What are we going to talk about? Oh, my God, I've got to play this music. I'm going to you know, make sure the sheets are all nice and we're constantly planning for sex in the beginning. And that's why it's so amazing. You know, you think about new positions and you think about all this sort of stuff. So we forget that because it didn't feel like a chore. We don't associate it with planning. It, we just did it automatically. So if we put the energy that we did in the beginning into sex now, it can be just as good, not as good because those hormones aren't there. But the whole thing about this, this myth about it's got to be spontaneous, you just don't suddenly magically feel like it. Well, anyone who's in a long-term relationship with kids knows that the chances of both of you feeling like it at exactly the same time when you have time, when your kids are in bed, when you're not having a fat day, when you don't have to get up, when is that ever going to happen? <laughs> if you don't plan sex sessions as a long-term couple with kids, you will never have sex. Never. That's such good advice. And I and you know and, you, and yeah, you plan it. That's it. You've got to. When you think about yeah. it, you're you, you know, you're so right about the start of it as well. The the work that you go to when you're dating mm. somebody, you know, everything's waxed, everything's perfect. Yeah, of course. New 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 underwear, everything. You know, it's yeah. an enormous strain, but it doesn't feel like it because it's new. The other thing is I always try to say to people is that because sometimes I get people saying, look, does this mean I feel awful because I love my partner to death, but I don't fancy them anymore? Have I have I made the wrong choice? I'm in the wrong relationship. No, you're not in the wrong relationship. And I feel really sorry for people who who don't figure that out because they switch partners and then in the beginning it's like aha, see, I want to have sex all the time now. This is the right person. And then, of course, then those hormones wear off and real life kicks in. It's like, oh, no, made the wrong choice again. But this new person, and it's like, guys, you, unless you want to keep on swapping partners every two or three years, all relationships are going to end up at that point. You're going to have to face it at some point that you have to work at it to keep things sexy. And you do have to. And the trick, I think, for long-term relationships is – if you can aim to have some kind of sexual encounter once a week or once every two weeks, and when I say sex, it doesn't have to include intercourse. It could just be a bloody, you know, or it could be a 10-minute quickie or three-minute quickie, actually, or it could be one of you giving the other oral sex before they walk out the door to work. And just so long as you have something super quick, super like once a week or once every two weeks, that's enough to keep you connected, to remind you that you are lovers as well as friends. And it keeps your desire for sex on the on the go because sex is an effort. We all know that, right? Yeah. But when you're it is an effort. And so, but when you're reminded of, oh, that's right, it is quite good. You're reminded of how good it is. But if you leave it too long, if you leave it like once every six weeks, you forget. And then it's all too difficult. And you feel like you've got to have this massive session to make up for all the ones you didn't have. And it never happens. So little bite-sized bits of sex work well. And you can manage that. You can manage 10 minutes, five minutes. Do you think men are more blasé about it? You know, when I think, I don't know, I think women have emotional affairs in their head. Like, mm. we become attached to things. So I love Fifty Shades of Grey and I love reading the books. And I know that people go, oh, they're trashy or whatever. But And I love Jamie Dornan. And if I can, you know, have a treat every couple of months where no one's in and I'll just watch all the movies, then I, then I love it. And it's like a fantasy thing and it's great. Yeah. You know? My husband just sort of, snubs at it you know oh he calls it my 
some porn or whatever. And he's like, there you are, you know, with that. And, and I think, yeah, but, you know, you could look at this. You could try and read the book. You could get some ideas. You could. And they're just so much more like, I think, whatever, which is why some women probably, well, like me, do like love the Fifty Shades and everything, because it's a bit of escapism, isn't it? He should watch it with you, because, I mean, there's so many scenes in that that, you know, listen, so whatever you think of it, whether you think it's literally genius or heap of trash, that changed women, middle-aged women's idea of sex. When I when before that came out, I used to have so many women coming up to me and saying, Oh, sex is so passe, we don't we're not interested in that anymore. And when Fifty Shades came out, all of a sudden it made sex fun again, it made sex interesting again, because it was and it was politically incorrect. You know, it's all this yeah. shoving up against a wall type stuff that we all love. Yeah. But you're not supposed to, you know. No. So it was fabulous. So, and it, it reawakened. I mean, I remember being on a holiday in Thailand with my husband and we, she found out what I did and whatever. She was talking to me and she said they'd been together something like 40 years and they hadn't had sex for five years. And she stayed up reading that book, the first one. And she actually was looking down at her partner at three o'clock in the morning thinking, well, he think it's really weird if I wake him up to have sex with him. And so she didn't. But she did the next day say, you know what, I'm reading this book and we've stopped having sex. Let's resume it. And that's how powerful it was for her. Now, how can you hate a book like that? That's brilliant. I know. You know, it's, it's fantastic. It changed so many women didn't it? and they reckon couples as well because there's all that hoo-ha about the cinema wasn't them people having to be hoofed out i mean how many movies make you behave like that exactly exactly i think it's great i think anything that sets our imaginations off is a really good thing and i don't really care what it is i mean people get i get lots of um, questions about fantasies and am i really weird if i'm fantasizing about this and if am i and you know nearly i'd say given or probably 95% of the fantasies that we have, we have no desire whatsoever to take through to real life. It's just something that for some reason or another amuses us and does it for us. And a lot of fantasies are really weird. Some of the fantasies I have, I think, oh my God, that's so weird. Why did I get off on that? But I don't question it because I know that they didn't mean anything unless you, you have the desire to take it through to real life and they're really dodgy or, you know, something to really worry about. Fine. That's when you worry. But you know, the average fantasy that you have, I mean, really, you know, those scenes in Fifty Shades are quite bloody extreme, actually, yeah. where he's spanking her and all that sort of stuff. I mean, would you really want that? Probably not, but you might want a mild spanking, you know. So I think people take things all very literally and worry about things that they shouldn't worry about. No one can mind read. So think about and fantasize about what you like, what you, what you want. No one can mind read. That's it. And no one should judge either. That's what I find. No. I've had a good old joke sometimes on the Hot Mess Mums Instagram about Fifty Shades. And I've done stories, you know, and, and sort of said, this was my afternoon. And, you know, a lot of women will message and go, oh, my God, I love Jamie Dornan in that movie. And but then I get <laughs> the old one who goes, how could you watch that? Or how could you read that book? It's just so trashy. And I just think, oh, God. Each so what? Isn't yeah. it? We all have our little things that we love and, you know, things yeah. We like to watch and read. Yeah. Um, and it's no one's business, what, whether you want to read literary classics or whether you want to, you know, read bloody kids' books. It's, it's really, who cares? It's whatever makes you happy, isn't it? 
I think sometimes it makes people feel uncomfortable. It's the same when you talk about, when you mentioned it earlier, vibrators and things like that. You know, I've got a friend who's 50. She looks amazing. She's single. She's got her own business. You know, she openly talks about how her vibrator is the best thing ever to the point where she'll send, send me links to it. And she's like, just buy one. Chris. Just get one. I swear. It's amazing. And, you know, she's so open. But there are people, I think, that feel very uncomfortable about mm. all that stuff, that you can be so open, that you can say you like a movie that's got dirty sex scenes in it, or mm. that's probably why people react like that, I guess. It is funny, but then you look at things like the success of Bridgerton, and which I didn't see. I tried to watch that, but it didn't do it for me. But no, but, I didn't um, think you think, it at all. no, but but loads of people did, and yeah. and you can say, well, that's loaded tripe, or it was very fluffy, and you know, but it's so what? I like normal people. I thought that was. Did you watch that? Normal people. No, Sally Rooney. Very good, very good, and and it it captured. You know that teenage sex thing so well. When and you're watching, you think, "Oh my God!" Remember what sex was like as a teenager, like when everything was a first, and you were obsessed with people, and you were, and your sex drive was so high. And they did really good sex scenes. They were almost too realistic in that the whole thing was just these sex scenes because they did it almost in the correct time. You know the amount of time that you spend on each thing, and and. It was the only thing I've ever watched where I thought, oh, my God, because I'm often sitting with my partner. He goes off and God say, shut up, because I'll say things like no foreplay, because if you penetrate a woman of that age without any lubrication, <laughs> he's going, shut up, just shut up, because it's so unrealistic, the sex. I mean, I remember just going berserk at Dr. Foster. Did you watch that? Uh, Dr. Foster? Yeah. Mr. Ann Jones. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I did. Not, oh God, that was so long ago now. I know it is. But there was a sex scene in that where the, she's with her husband, who she's been with forever, and they wake up on a Sunday morning, all with makeup on, of course, and lovely lingerie, of course, which we all wear when we've been to with somebody 20 years. And um, and they just woke up, and she moved across the bedroom. Next minute, he was having her against the wall, and I thought, it doesn't happen like that no. in real life. And it, and I'm sitting there knowing this because I've spent 30 years talking about sex. My partner has been indoctrinated by me, so he knows it. But I still felt awkward. I just thought, God, I hope he's looking, not looking at that and thinking, shit, we don't do that. You know, so it's it's so. And if I'm thinking like that, imagine what everybody else is thinking. I think it makes people feel very, um, yeah, inferior and feeling like there's something wrong with their sex life. When in fact there isn't. There's nothing wrong with your sex life. That's not realistic. It really isn't. And normal people actually was quite realistic, but for that age group. You mentioned that earlier. I mean, I absolutely love that. They're doing the the new one, aren't they? I can't wait. But that's Mm. very funny. But I think that's really good. But again, it's sort of the younger. Yeah. But it's fantastic, that show. It it, it challenges everything. If only, or it should be made recommended viewing for all kids after the age of about 12, quite frankly. It really should, because it, it just tackles everything in such a great way. Have you seen um, on Netflix, have you watched Grace and Frankie? I've seen it before, yeah. My mum loves it and my sister loves it. Yeah, I like, I like it, but I couldn't. 
I did. I was interested in that um, the vibrator that they designed because um, more, yes. you know, the book that I've just written is all about um, sex for women over fifty, and so I wanted to do design some products that would particularly suit women over fifty. And somebody said to me, "Look at the thing that they did, came up with, the perfect vibrator." And it was one vibrator, and I looked at that and I thought, actually, you got some really good points there that I'm going to take when I design mine. So it was very useful. But no, it was great. It shows that that just. That normalise things like sex toys are fantastic. They really are fantastic. Let's talk about your new podcast as well, because I'd like to know more about this. It's mums don't have time to have sex. Definitely not. So (laughs) how did that come about? Well, it was quite interesting, actually, because I, as part of the um, publicity for my book, I was doing, and I reckon I've done 50 guest podcasts about how to have great sex after 50. And the one that I was really looking forward to doing was with a woman called Zibby Owens. And she's really famous in the US, an amazing woman. And she does a podcast called Mums Don't Have Time to Read Books. And it all started because she has four kids and she didn't have time to read books. And she just thought, right, okay, I'm going to do something where I just pick out the best, like a book club for mums, right? And from that, she's now got this brand, Mums Don't Have Time Too. And she does to grieve, to lose weight, to travel, to all sorts of stuff. So anyway, and her podcast is massive. And so I was really excited about going on it. And so we're chatting away and about 20 minutes in, she said, she said, God, I've never met anyone like you before. I think you'd be absolutely fantastic to host a podcast called what, you know, Mums Don't Have Time to Have Sex. And because she asked me on air, I kind of thought, well, this isn't on air. This must be just, she must have stopped recording ages ago. And we're just going to have a chat. So I'm like, ask all sorts of questions. And then, then at the end, she goes off. And then when I hear the podcast, it's all on the podcast. And it was hilarious. So you can actually hear me accepting to do the podcast with her. So we do it once a week. Um, I think a few people are confused. It's like, why is it aimed at mums and you're not a mum? It, it's not aimed at mums. It's just the brand. But it's aimed at anyone. We, we get questions from anybody who's you know 60 to 20 and it's really simple format it's her and I talking I get three questions that people send in and I answer them and I'm like the straight talker and she gets quite shy about things and it's quite a nice little dynamic like that and she sort of looks at things very differently than me and then and that's it and it's only about 20 minutes and it's and I'm so enjoying it because of the variety of questions like this week we did um pubic hair etiquette what's the correct way should you take it all off still if you haven't been on the scene for a while we did asexual how do you know if you're asexual or whether it's just fear of intimacy we've done um the other question this week was um i'm married and i'm having an affair with a married man the sex is great how are we hurting anybody if no one finds out so they're really good good questions quite good relationshipy so we're picking quite you know, controversial questions, but also questions that everybody can relate to. And it's quite fun. It's very easy, lots of practical tips. And there's billions of podcasts out there about sex. So if anyone does listen to it, it'd be great if you could rate and review. But yeah, it's just, I think you'd like it. Definitely. And I think a lot of my friends would as well. You know, I've got a mixture of friends and some who are sort of single and single parents as well and out there dating again. And I think sometimes it's good to have tips and advice, you know, like you were saying about the pubic hair and stuff. I don't do it at all. But then I've got friends who are like, how could you do that? How can you how can you have those waxes, you know? And so everyone's got different opinions on things like that. Yeah. 
They do. And I wrote a piece up for the Mail Online and honestly, I don't think it got it got the most clicks of anything. And I just thought, wow. this is, what does that tell you about our world, that we are so obsessed with things like that? And how did your podcast come about, the two of you? It started off as a passion project, you know, sort of all about supporting mums, talking about real motherhood and, you know, being mm. honest about life and really. And it's kind of grown you know we've covered everything from menopause and all sorts you know it's kind of got that female vibe I guess really and it's just yeah it's season seven oh my god that's that's a lot isn't it I know and I love it you know it's so nice because I worked in radio for a long time and towards the end things were so restrictive with what you could say it's so nice now to be in a position where you can like have these amazing conversations with people like you that help people and just be so honest and real I think that's the beauty of, of podcasting it is isn't it because yeah. I never I never used to listen to podcasts and now I just absolutely love them and I don't commute because I work from home like most people who write do and, and just listen to them when I'm doing makeup but I love the fact that there's such I mean there's so many out there though when I was doing the publicity for the book launch in America normally you just jump on a plane and you'd go on the today show and you'd reach 22 million people that was all you do or you'd you'd spend two days really just going full pelt and now and this time it was three months of hard slog actually because I had to go on I mean just just having to reach different groups of people through podcasts or through media and I just thought oh my god this, this this virus has got a lot to answer for it turned two days work into about three months work, but I got to meet the most amazing people because all these people that I would never have spoken to who were quite extraordinary, quite niche. And and I got to meet a few of my heroes actually. And I thought that I've always looked up at them and they were they were like, No, we've always looked up at you. So that's that's always a nice thing as well. Yeah, the con- I guess it's connecting as well, isn't it? It's so important, yeah. especially with what you do. And doing this as well, and you'll know you get to meet so many fab people, you know. Mm. So um, it's it's lovely, especially since we've all been locked down for so long. I know. Please, God, let it all open up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, the new book, Great Sex Starts at 50, is out now. Yes, it is. It's out now. It's in um, all different countries and it's on Amazon or your even better at your independent bookstore. You can grab that. Um, and it's aimed at, I mean, it's it's the, te- the um, title is Great Sex Starts at 50 because it can start at 50 for lots of women. It doesn't end at 50. and um, But it probably works just as well for people 40 on really to whatever age. Yeah. I don't think it, yeah, to whatever age. And there's lots of stuff in there about long-term relationships and how to cope with that body image, how to age-proof your libido generally, you know, all the stuff that we were talking about, how to negotiate a sexist marriage because lots of people sometimes don't want to have sex anymore and that's fine, but there are things that you should be doing instead. Um, women talking about how women don't have a low libido, we're just bored, and you're the perfect example of that. Give us erotic Fifty Shades type sex and we'd all be wanting to be at it give us boring sex and we're not funny that isn't it and i think the difference between women and men with that is that men always nearly always have an orgasm and it nearly always revolves around intercourse which is when most women don't have an orgasm so of course they're going to be more interested in mundane sex because at least they get an orgasm at the end of it if you said to most men you have to have sex in the missionary position but you can have it once a week the rest of your life with your wife they go yeah that's all right if you said that to most women, they go, I'm going to go and kill myself now. <laughs> <laughs> because that does nothing for us. But that's why men, they always say men's sex drive is high. It's not. Women's sex drive is just as high, but we just need a little bit more work. We need a little bit more excitement to keep yeah. our sex drive going. So if everybody could figure that one out and just keep it, and you've got the right idea, you're keeping yours going by reading erotica and watching 
um, Fifty Shades and stuff. I mean, that's what we need to be doing. I just need to get Chris on board with that too. And I'll be... (laughs) Tell him off. Tell him that I said, come on now. (laughs) You know, I meant to mention to you, younger men as well, because, again, I've got quite a few friends. Jenny's partner's younger than her. And we seem to get loads of women on here, celebrity women who all with younger men. Uh, my friend yeah. mentioned with a vibrator, she's about to ask somebody out who's a lot younger than her as well. It seems to be a thing when someone's been married, it's not worked out, and then the woman reinvents themselves fabulously, that mm. we they get this kind of confidence and that younger man yeah. becomes really attractive. And I'm quite envious about that because <laughs> my husband's 52 and I'm 40 in October so there's a bit of a difference between us I've always gone for the older men but I listen yeah. and I'm like oh look at you and he's 10 years younger <laughs> I get really excited I've always gone out with younger men I mean my husband at the moment is five years younger and that's the that's the least age difference I've ever had I don't oh, think yeah. I've ever been out with anyone my own age or older um and it works and I'll tell you why it works it works a lot if you're a confident woman because with like a lot of men, and also with dating, internet dating, so many men will tick 20 years younger and not interested in any woman anywhere near their own age. So mm. you don't get younger, like people your age looking at you on dating sites. It just doesn't mm. happen. It's so, And so many women wrote to me with this book and they said, it's absolutely ironic that I can pull, as a, as a decent looking 50 year old, I can pull a hot 30-year-old, and I'm talking a hot 30-year-old who's absolutely so interested in me and we're having the best sex. And I can't pull some guy of 55 who's got a bigger, unattractive, boring, and so not appealing at all. He's He wouldn't look at me, and yet I could pull this other person. It's just bizarre. Why would you not go for the hot yeah. 30-year-old? Absolutely. You know, I mean, and it works really well. Because... Bolding men live on, can I just say? Like, what I don't know. Live on. I don't know what planet they live on, but it really annoys me when you read those stats that men over the age of 50 will only tick 40 40 and younger. And you think, oh, who are you kidding? And the men who tick that are the most boring men. Often the guys, you know, it it just is stupid. But listen, who cares? The young men get all the nice goodies and and lots of older women end up with them. And I mean, I, 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 went out with somebody who was 20 years younger than me how about that and which was great at the time but I probably wouldn't have settled down with him but I certainly would settle down with somebody 10 years younger than me I mean Miles my partner who I I mean best relationship I've ever had and I would be with him until I die he's only five years younger but I mean it wouldn't 10 years isn't a problem unless you're you're old very old or young in another way if you know what I mean because I think you can you've still got good reference points at 10 years but I think anything more than that you start to lose those reference points and Awful things happen. Like my friend married somebody who's 20 years older and she's now 60 and he's 80 and he's had Alzheimer's for the last five years. And that's not much fun. So I think you get into, you know, you, in the younger end, you get into the wanting to have babies at a different age. And I think in the older end, you get into somebody ends up being the carer. And also, I just remember looking down at one point and I had my hand on top of his hand and I thought, oh, my God, that just looks awful. Like this, this really lovely young hand and my old hand on top of it. And I and I love being with Miles because we can get old together and I don't have to hide the ageing things because he's, he's, the same, well, he's virtually the same age. So, see, I can't even count. I can't see an age difference of five years. To me, that doesn't even count. But, um, but it is nice to be with somebody and not have to pretend to be young. Not that I ever did, I don't think, but you know what I mean. I do. I love it. I love that. It's so inspiring as well for anyone out there who, you know, is yeah. seen and 
and doesn't want an old fart. Exactly. And I met, I met my partner over the age of 50, by the way. So I've been married before and had lots of young boyfriends. And then I was, I was despairing. And I thought, oh, for God's sake, this is just ridiculous. And I met him. He, he was in a package, which I mean, very good looking. Well, I found him good looking, find him good looking. Um, but he was not a lot of things that I thought I would end up with. But now people say, oh, my God, you're like two peas in a pub. You're exactly the same. You were like, you've just found the equivalent of each other. And it's so easy and it's so fabulous. And that was over 50. So don't ever think that you don't ever give up. It's a numbers game. You've just got to be out there looking and not be so set in your type. Like, give up this whole, they must be this, they must be that. One of my girlfriends had such a ridiculous wish list. They've got to be able to do everything around the house, but then they've got to be a great salsa dancer, and then they've got to be great with my boys, but then they can't have kids themselves. And it was like, oh, for God's sake. She met somebody like that. She, she met somebody who ticked all of those boxes, and she rang me up, and then she said, but he's short. And I was like, <laughs> you are kidding me you're gonna get that get in the way of all these other boxes anyway i made her go out with him it took her about four months to get over it and now she is absolutely so happy and she just thinks back and just goes oh how ridiculous was that as if that's gonna count i couldn't care less if he was one foot tall now so we've got to let go of these things that aren't important like short who cares like money if you want money, go and make your own money. Don't rely on some bloke to give it to you. Yeah, you know, I mean, so it's personality and, and morals and intelligence and humour that are important. Kindness, they are important. Everything else doesn't matter. I love that. It's a great place to finish that. Perfect. Thank you yeah. so much. Been- Thank you for having me. I've loved it. You're a superstar. So much interesting stuff in there. Um, Thank you. I love it. So Great Sex Starts at 50 is out now. And the new podcast, Mums Don't Have Time to Have Sex, is out on all podcasting platforms as well. And we can follow you on your Instagram, Tracy Cox, sex author, and that's on Instagram. You can follow Tracy on there as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Lovely to meet you.